The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Hi, I'm Rich Vogel. And I'm Adam Doan. We're both board-certified neurophysiologists from just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we're also co-chairs of the NAS section on intraoperative neurophysiological monitoring. This podcast series is about neuromonitoring and covers a range of educational topics aimed at optimizing patient care, decreasing costs, and or maximizing OR efficiency. Today we're going to discuss an argument that we sometimes hear against the use of neuromonitoring in general or the use of motor evoked potentials in particular, and it's related to anesthesia and prolonged wake-ups. The argument simply is that neuromonitoring often requires the use of total intravenous anesthesia, or TIVA, and this prolongs wake-ups. To combat this problem, many surgeons elect to discontinue neuromonitoring earlier in the procedure or forego the use of motor evoked potentials altogether. But did you know that neuromonitoring has the technology to guide the anesthesia team through a faster wake-up in most cases? It requires communication and collaboration, but it's easy to do. That's what we're going to discuss today. Adam, let's start with our anesthesia selection and what guides our requirements for uh, or our requests for specific regimens. Our request for specific regimens or medications for induction and maintenance of anesthesia usually come down to whether or not we're monitoring motor evoked potentials. If we're just monitoring SSCPs or EMG, we typically tell the anesthesia team that it's okay to use uh, half a MAC or even a full MAC of inhalational agents. We just might need to titrate the levels if cortically recorded SSCPs are difficult to acquire due to pre-existing uh, pathology, for example. When it comes to monitoring motor evoked potentials, it is now the international consensus that TIVA is optimal for MEPs and inhalational agents at any level are suboptimal and not recommended. So we always ask for TIVA when monitoring motor evoked potentials. Historically, this means that anesthesia is induced and maintained with a combination of propofol and narcotics like remifentanil, for example. Right. So listeners are probably wondering how this translates to prolonged wake-ups. Well, first, we have to acknowledge that the causes of delayed awakening after general anesthesia are multifactorial. Uh, contributing factors include the drug itself, the dose, the patient's age and BMI, uh, duration of surgery, interactions with other drugs, patient comorbidities and disease processes, and a host of metabolic factors that can change throughout surgery. All of that aside, it is widely reported verbally in ORs all across the country that propofol prolongs wake-ups, at least as compared to inhalational agents. It is true that some inhalational agents like desflurane and sevoflurane have fast decrement times and rapid emergence uh, can be expected under normal conditions. But what about propofol? Well, studies actually show that propofol is rapidly metabolized by the liver and other um, extrahepatic sites. Uh, it has a short half-life of about um, 10 minutes, and it does not accumulate. So fast recovery is actually expected. So why do we see prolonged wake-ups with propofol TIVA regimen? Adam? Well, it probably has something to do with dosage. Numerous studies have shown that delayed awakening after general anesthesia is most commonly caused by excessive anesthesia. Administration of an ideal dose to a patient 
may have a very different effect on apparently on a different similar patient. When it comes to inhalational agents, anesthesiologists tell us that a MAC is more predictable and easier to control. There's less concern about awareness under inhalational anesthesia as compared to propofol or TIVA. In an effort to decrease the likelihood of awareness under TIVA, anesthesiologists tend to run the patient, quote unquote, deeper. It is this act of, act of running the patient deeper that probably results in the prolonged wake-up time. And if it's a long surgery, the effect is pronounced because the length of anesthesia administered influences the rate at which concentrations of anesthetics decrease after they're discontinued. This is true for both uh, IV agents like propofol and uh, inhaled agents like the different um, volatile gases. Agreed, but what can we do? Uh, all things equal, can we have rapid emergence from anesthesia under propofol TIVA and still run motor evoked potentials? The answer is absolutely. Um, does the anesthesiologist have to run the patient super deep just to reduce the probability of awareness under TIVA? No, not necessarily. In fact, Adam and I spent years working in a facility that had TIVA down to a science. We always got motors, even in very sick patients, and we always had an optimal plane of anesthesia, and this typically translated to rapid wake-ups. But we accomplished this by working very closely with our colleagues in anesthesia. Uh, communication and collaboration were certainly key. Adam, do you want to talk about our methods? Sure. So when we did neuromonitoring for spine surgery, we always recorded both EMG and EEG as well as our evoked potentials. The EMG was used to monitor the nerve roots, but we also found it to be a good indicator for when the patient was experiencing subclinical nociception. The body begins to tense and withdraw to noxious stimuli, regardless of awareness, and we can see certain patterns of EMG which are characteristics of response to the stimuli. Generally, this was communicated to anesthesia as the patient being, quote unquote, reactive. The anesthesia team treated this with narcotics like fentanyl. The EEG was used to monitor gross cortical brain activity. It doesn't add any cost to the surgery because it utilizes the same electrodes that we used for the SSCPs. And it also is not going to be built to the insurance as a, an adjunct for this purpose. So it's a free adjunct that provides additional clinical information. Generally speaking, we used two to three channels of EEG to get a sense of when the patient's brain activity was consistent with being too light, too deep, or just right. This was always communicated to anesthesia as the patient being, quote-unquote, deep or light, respectively. The anesthesia team understood that when the patient was deep, this meant that they had room to lower the dosage of propofol in similar agents if it made clinical sense otherwise. Likewise, if the patient was late, administering additional propofol often corrected the problem before the patient began to move. Obviously, this makes everybody happy. Additionally, we would use the same information to correlate our motor data. If anesthesia normally affects our data in a dose-dependent fashion, then we can use this information in the interpretation of changes from baseline. Yeah, we had a lot of success with that model. My recollection was even toward the end of surgery when the surgeons didn't see any reason to continue monitoring, the anesthesia team would actually ask us to continue monitoring the EEG. They would elect to continue their TIVA regimen um, or, or even just turn off the propofol as opposed to switching uh, to gas. And we would give them real-time feedback about the depth. 
it was a high volume center, so room turnover was important, um, and we always had quick wake-ups. Of course, that's not necessarily true with a 10, 12, 14-hour procedures. Wake-ups will be long no matter what in that context. But the point is that we didn't sacrifice neuromonitoring or the use of motor evoked potentials just because the requirement for TIVA made prolonged wake-ups possible. Rather, we worked together as a team to optimize the outcomes. Yeah, right. So if you think about it, the use of EEG to guide anesthesia isn't novel. Several EEG-based methods for quantifying the depth of anesthesia are in widespread use. Uh, the bispectral in index, or the BIS, is the most common one that we've seen. In fact, the BIS monitor is one of the best validated EEG-based monitors for quantifying drug effects in terms of depth of anesthesia, and studies have shown that BIS-guided BIS anesthesia reduces awareness by 82%. So the anesthesia team can probably find an optimal plane of hypnosis through the use of a BIS monitor, and they can certainly get additional information from neuromonitoring to help develop a more complete picture. We like our method because while the BIS monitor combines EMG and EEG into a single value-based proprietary algorithm, neuromonitoring can, separately, uh, can separate those readings and give specific feedback about depth of hypnosis and patient reactivity. This is particularly helpful in situations where the BIS monitor is not available. Also, the BIS monitor is a validated method for monitoring levels of anesthesia in situations where the neuromonitoring team is not capable of providing such feedback. Right, so the, the last thing that we wanna say is prolonged wake-ups, at least in the context of just getting a neural exam after spine surgery, aren't at the end of the world. An appropriately executed multimodality neural monitoring plan should provide a highly accurate prognosis of postoperative function. No changes in data should equal no change in neurologic function. So a more thorough exam can often wait, and the surgeon should feel confident to send the patient to PACU. Surgeons should be able to trust the neural monitoring. If you can't, there's a problem. Agreed. So to summarize, delayed recovery from anesthesia is also often multifactorial, and anesthetic agents may not always be the culprit. All other factors equal, delayed wake-up are often the result of excessive dosing. While the BIS monitor is a validated method to analyze anesthetic depth, neuromonitoring can provide additional information to complete the clinical picture for our colleagues in anesthesia. EMG tells us about the, the level of um, narcotics, which can be increased to treat patient reactivity. And EEG tells us about the levels of induction uh, of uh, hypnotic agents such as propofol. With increased depth, cortical activity is suppressed, and the EEG is likewise suppressed. When clinically appropriate, decreasing the dosage can normalize the EEG into an optimal anesthetic plane, and this should help to speed your wake up. This requires teamwork and cooperation between the anesthesia and the neuromonitoring team. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.